Hello and welcome to Monkey Business, a podcast for business people everywhere understanding about their monkey mind. And I'm Rosalind Palmer. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Andrea Gonkovichova, all the way from Prague. Now, Andrea has a phenomenal CV. I'm sure you can check her out on LinkedIn. She is CEO of Eastern Europe across three different countries for Philip Morris International. She's Slovakian Woman of the Year. She is a published author in two books and what's more, she's a wife and a mother. And Andrea joins me today from Prague. I'm delighted that I actually know Andrea because I have the pleasure of being in a book that was published with her as well. And I got to spend some time with her in the wonderful city of Pula and got to know her. Um, Don't be fooled by Andrea's humble demeanour. Behind it is an absolute tenacity and somebody who has really come from a place where she probably couldn't even imagine the role in the world that she lives in today. Would you say that's true, Andrea, from your background to where you are today? I would say it's absolutely true. I always could imagine and was imagining many things, but the world as we live it, as I live in it today, it's far beyond any of my imagination from my childhood, let's say. And what was your childhood like then? Well, how, where did you grow up? I grew up uh, in Slovakia, as you mentioned, in the mountainous area, so really beautiful, but also quite tough in terms of uh, nature and uh, environment. And most importantly, I grew up in Slovakia during the times when there was still this iron curtain. So it was uh, the time of uh, scarcity, really regulation, tough regulation. Just to give you a couple of examples, if we wanted to have uh, some fruits for Christmas, each family could get maybe four bananas and a kilo of uh, oranges. When I wanted to get uh, my skiing costume, because I'm a really excited skier, I really didn't have a lot of choice in terms of colors or sizes of the skiing costume. I just, uh, if I wanted to go skiing, I pretty much needed to buy what was in the store if it was there. So uh, that was my childhood, but it was still very pretty, you know, deep friendships, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. So it was very happy childhood, but it was uh, regulated in, and uh, many material things were scarce. On the other hand, yes. I was going to say, what were the expectations of your family really about what life would look like for you going forward, what your future life would look like? Because they probably couldn't imagine the life you live today. So how did they give you a sense of what their expectations of you were? I think there were not really expectations meeting my current way of living. I think we were very much focused on family, friendships, relationships, happy life. But in terms of uh, having the opportunities in terms of work, in terms of traveling, in terms of uh, experiences, uh, which I have today, I really don't think anybody was dreaming that far. So it was pretty much the continuation of what we were living uh, at that times and developing it further, but not really to the amplitude where I am today. Yeah, so you had a, a double whammy, really. Not only were you in a country 
behind the Iron Curtain that didn't really feel it had everything that the West had available to it. But you were also in a very rural district within that country as well. So what do you think coloured your mindset as a child for, for wanting different things, wanting more, wanting out of there? One of my really basic uh, features of my mind is uh, curiosity. And uh, since I remember myself, I have always been curious about the life I am living today. Is it the life which I am going to live tomorrow? So always curious about that. I always, uh, I have always been curious about the world. I wanted to understand better. I wanted to know more. I wanted to see how it is, you know, in a different country, how it is in a different family, how is it in a different job. So one of really main elements of me driving me forward is really my curiosity. And I still have it today. So I'm still very curious about what are the days and uh, years ahead of me to what are they going to bring me. And I imagine with you also a thirst for, for knowledge, because how many languages do you speak? I speak Slovak, uh, Czech, English. I have a pretty good uh, Spanish and uh, Russian, and I can uh, understand and speak some French, and I understand a little bit of German. So uh, I am pretty well anchored in the Central Europe, definitely. What do you love about having all those languages? Is it the ability just to learn, the ability to communicate? What's that brought you? What I really love about languages and what is the driving force for me to learn and uh, speak them is the proximity uh, I get to the cultures and to people who speak those languages. Because I can really understand very well that if I speak English, I can still express my feelings and uh, I can talk about my culture, etc. But it's only when I am really in Slovakia with the Slovak people, listening to Slovak music, that that's really 100% of uh, how my Slovak uh, uh, soul comes out. And I have got the same uh, experience with, for example, Spanish people, with British people, with uh, French people. It's only when we are really in that environment with people speaking that their native language, singing their native songs or reading their native poetry, that it's really 100% of the experience of that culture. So it's uh, really this curiosity to get into the minds of, uh, and uh, hearts of those people that uh, drives me. Does that help you in your role? Because, um, as I mentioned, you are CEO across um, three countries, I believe, and you're in a, a market that's changing. You're in a changing market. We're in a changing world. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I'm sure you never expected the kind of things you've been having to do this year. And you've got different cultures, different languages, different people. How do you navigate that? You are really spot on. I think one of the main reasons why I can understand my 
customers, my consumers, is really the fact that I can sit down with them and I can have a pretty natural and authentic discussion with them. And as I mentioned, and as you mentioned, I am in charge of Slovakia, I am Slovak, so that's, uh, that's a, uh, an obvious thing. Now I live in Prague, you know, very similar language, I can sit down with the Czech people as well and we can have a very authentic and open, honest discussion. And I have a different experience in Hungary because I don't speak Hungarian, but I have a very good team there who is actually doing what I am doing in Czech and in Slovakia for me and then they translate that and transport that experience to me. So I have different attitudes across my three countries, but I really enjoy the fact that I can get very close to people in Slovakia and in Czech Republic. Do you ever feel like you're a referee between different cultures? No, no, not at all. I'm tailor-making the things for each of them. So for the Slovaks, Slovak solution. For Czech, Czech solution. For the Hungarians, Hungarian solution. There is nothing like one size fits all, no. And is your parent company American? Uh, Is that an American company originally, PMI? It used to be, but uh, there was a spin-off. Uh, at the beginning of the 20, uh, 21st century, and now our main base is in Switzerland. Okay, so so you could say that we are an international company based in Switzerland. So you don't have friction with the international. I'm I'm kind of thinking, you know, Brexit and the EU, and you know, sometimes when cultures come together, it doesn't sit as well as one might hope. No, not really. I have never experienced cultural friction, frictions uh, in the company. Actually, we are very, very international. Even when I look at my team in Prague, I have Slovaks, I have Czechs, I have Hungarians, I have Romanians, I have Russians. And I could go on. So already in Prague, not even an international headquarters, it's just a headquarters for the cluster of these three countries. And you, I would count up to 10 nationalities in my team, I think. So it's a very open in that uh, perspective. So I'm going to think about gender now, because again, that girl growing up, um, I imagine not only was the world you're in, not understood because it didn't exist. The world we live in, you know, no concept of the Iron Curtain coming down. What were the expectations maybe on a on a woman within those businesses? Because to my mind, you, you seem to have pulled it off. You are not only um, the CEO of uh, an amazing uh, three country strong force, you're also a wife and a mother. Uh, What was the expectation of you as a woman growing up? I think one of the main reasons why I have come where I am today is the fact that I didn't think about it and I even didn't care about it. I always follow the feeling which I have here and if I want to get somewhere, I just do everything what I can to get there. Yes, it was not always easy, but in general, I had some very surprising experiences, actually. When I look, for example, I have two sons, as you mentioned, and uh, so I had to, and I decided to have a break from my professional life for a year with uh, each of them. And the biggest support I got during my pregnancy and maternity leave, actually, I got it from men. Two different men, and I got it from them. 
Also, when I was, for example, moving into international headquarters, I worked there for four years and I was in charge of the EU strategy. One could say really a Slovak woman to be, you know, chosen to get that position to synchronize and execute the strategy across EU countries, so EU-wide, you could say that uh, there could have been better candidates, yes? Whether a man or whether somebody from France or Poland or UK, and uh, it was me. So uh, I think uh, the approach which I have taken really focus on what I want to do, deliver the highest quality, really align well with people, talk with people, collaborate with them, and don't pay attention to any or really very little to corridor discussions or things like that. I think it's paying back. So I'm, uh, I'm very happy about that. And what about the discussions in your own head? It, it strikes me that you don't really have an issue with being driven, being on the button, keep going. Can you say no to yourself or how do you create balance? <laughs> it's, uh, I, uh, it's very difficult for me to say no to myself, but I am uh, I'm also disciplined in that perspective. And I'm trying to listen to my uh, inner voice, as we call it, and sometimes I just have to overrule even my own appetite. <laughs> the most important element there, I think, is to have the balance between mind and body. And uh, I am really well disciplined in that. I don't succeed in 100%, I have to admit. But I succeed maybe around 80% when I, I really train my mind. I'm meditating, reading, relaxing. Uh, I'm having intellectual discussions with my friends and uh, sometimes with my husband, not sometimes, very often, the most, uh, the most discussions I have first with my husband and then my friends and my colleagues. So really train the mind, but also, again, meditation, reading and relaxation. But at the same time, I'm paying uh, a lot of attention to my body. Uh, I don't spend hours doing exercise, but I do it uh, every day. I do exercise regularly, maybe 30 minutes. I do walks. I really pay a lot of attention to having enough sleep, etc., etc. So to keep my mind and my body somehow in harmony, the, the, the best possible. And I think that helps a lot. That helps a lot and really listening to, to the, world, uh, to the vo- voice which is inside where I have to allow my body to have enough sleep. I am, I am really useless when I don't sleep enough. And I, ha- I have tried it and I saw how useless I was. <laughs> so uh, uh, I have to have at least seven hours of sleep. Otherwise... Uh, so are you, a member of the, are you a member of the 5 a.m. club or not? <laughs> I'm not a member of 5 a.m., but uh, I am a member of the 6 a.m. club that I can do. As long as you get to bed on time the night before as well. I, I go to bed uh, between 9.30 and 10, 10.15. And uh, in that case, I can get up even slightly before 6 o'clock. So uh, that's my best day, definitely. 
So what are you feeding your mind with? You mentioned meditation, you mentioned reading. What's the kind of things that you're feeding your mind with or your mindset with to have it more healthy? So I start with meditation where the main elements, uh, the two main elements is uh, gratitude and uh, forgiveness. I'm really, really focused on uh, having my mind cleared up and freed up from uh, any grunges and any bad uh, experiences and uh, feelings. So I do that every day, really. And I have so many things to be grateful for. And sometimes I have a few things to forgive to myself or to others. So that's the two main elements of meditation and uh, I could go on. Then what I do, I do reading. I have to do quite a lot of reading for my job. And that's professional reading, understanding. It's not always uh, words sometimes, and very often it's numbers and it's uh, surveys and researches, etc., etc. But I also uh, balance it to the best possible extent with uh, reading uh, just normal books. Uh, for example, I'm planning now, I'm planning to read the book about Marlene Dietrich. I have just read uh, some uh, creamy stories. I also like reading about the lives of uh, various artists. So I really go out in a completely different direction when I read a book to balance again the reading which I do for my job. Yeah, you're getting the left and the right brain. Exactly, exactly. And talking of books, you are a published author in two books. Um, What are the two books? Is one leadership and the other, is it parenting? The other one is conscious leadership. Oh, conscious leadership. Oh, excellent. Um, So what are your thoughts about creating conscious leaders? What would you say are some key things for a leader to become a conscious leader? I think it's uh, going maybe two, three levers deeper, because sometimes the circumstances create a leader of you. Mama, mother is a leader for her kids. Sometimes, you know, uh, in a couple, I am married, so in a couple, uh, different, uh, sometimes a husband is a leader in one area and a wife is a leader in another area. So these are very natural uh, circumstances when we are leading something. And uh, what is really, really important is that uh, we should be thinking about what kind of uh, leadership we want to play, even in these very natural circumstances, not to mention the leadership in, uh, in the office or in, in my job, because the kind of leadership I do for my children is going to define their approach to many areas in their life. The type of leadership uh, I do in uh, some of the areas of our common life with my husband are going to define our future. And then in uh, the kind of leadership I do in my company when I I am in charge of uh, more than 2,000 people across these countries is going to have a really instrumental influence on the business results of our company. So one thing is to be a leader and it's a completely different thing to think about what kind of leader I want to be. And that has to be, for me, that is definitely a conscious thinking and decision making. So uh, that's really... 
And your children, what are you, what values or consciousness or leadership traits or what are you, what are you showing them? What are you demonstrating to them? I think what is really pouring out of my uh, personality is what I have mentioned already is the curiosity. And I think that as long as we are curious, we are not getting old. And yeah. And uh, there are so many things which I am looking forward to, and I think they really get it very naturally, and they have dreams, and they have, you know, their imagination is really unleashed. Another thing which uh, I really respect and uh, I am passing on to my kids is uh, to be humble, because it really doesn't matter whether we have been successful up till today, uh, whether we have, uh, you know, gone uh, further than we have ever dreamt about, that doesn't matter. I think what really matters is to be able to be humble, because again, in combination with curiosity, that gets you further. And the third element, which uh, I would emphasize, is uh, authenticity, because uh, I think it's so liberating when we can be ourselves, just through ourselves. That gives us the most beautiful colors, gives us the best possible freedom, gives us everything what we can dream about. So uh, these are, I would say, these are the three main traits which uh, I would be so happy if uh, my kids uh, really get it under their skin. And when has being authentic, being true to yourself, being true to your principles cost you? When have you had to walk away from things? I had that experience and it was so painful. (laughs) It uh, happened at the end of the year 2015 for me when I uh, needed to make a decision uh, about really redirecting my career from the path which uh, I had been working on for more than 10 years at that time. And it was at the time when Philip Morris uh, really developed and was ready to commercialize products, which at that time had the potential to reduce harm. And I was doing something completely different. I was doing regulation, fiscality, the EU strategy, etc. And as, as soon as I learned that these products are ready to be commercialized, Actually, I decided I wanted to bring them to my countries. That's why I'm here in Slovakia, Czech and Hungary. I wanted to bring it to my region, to my people. And that was a huge change in my career. And I was actually risking a lot because I I left behind 10, 15 years of my career expectation, uh, reputation, experience, sorry, experience, reputation, And I said, I know I can do this and I know I could grow further. But as a matter of fact, I'm still strong enough and curious enough to try a different thing. And uh, I wanted to bring these products here. And I was super lucky that I got that opportunity. So actually, it was me who went for a big risk, but it was also the company who went for a big risk because I didn't have any commercial experience till then. Just to be clear, this is them going into non-smoking smoking. smoking. I don't know how to explain it. How would you explain that? It's going away from cigarettes because the most 
harmful thing about cigarettes is not the tobacco, is not nicotine, even though it's very addictive, but it's actually the uh, fact that the cigarettes burn and they uh, produce smoke. And in the smoke, you have thousands of really harmful and potentially harmful constituents. So uh, in Philip Morris, we have been developing and researching other solutions where we could deliver nicotine to somebody who still wants it or who still can't quit, but in a less harmful way. And that's why we have developed products. Uh, for example, the product which we have on the markets here in Slovakia, Czech and Hungary these days is a product which is not burning tobacco, but it's heating it with a very controlled temperature, which uh, doesn't produce smoke and uh, produces uh, just aerosol with nicotine, but on average uh, 95% less of these harmful constituents. So I, I don't smoke, my son does. <laughs> I, I guess what you're saying is you have the satisfaction of smoking in a way, but without the harmful chemicals and side effects that cause the illness. Is that right? It's not called smoking anymore. You have the satisfaction of nicotine, I would say, because that's what actually the smokers, what they are looking for in cigarettes is nicotine. Okay, yeah. And what they get on top are those thousands of uh, harmful and potentially harmful constituents, yes, sub, uh, substances. So, so as long as, as long there is something, something which is, which not, is burning not burning and, and delivering, delivering nicotine, nicotine, it's already, it's already very, very high, high chances, chances that these, that these constituents, constituents are decreased significantly. significantly. And in the and product, product which we commercialize, ICOS, there is on average 95% less of these substances. So. So your principle was about creating something more healthy yet sustainable within a market that you were already in. And, and you took a real risk on that. I, I love that, that you went out there. It's not necessarily more healthy, but it's less harmful. Let's, uh, let's say it's less harmful because you still have uh, nicotine there, which is still addictive. And the best thing would be for a smoker to quit. But we also know that uh, irrespective of all the communication, all the knowledge, there are still very high numbers of smokers who can't quit or who don't want to quit. So that's why we are really working on solutions which would give them what they are looking for, again, nicotine, but it's, uh, in a way which is uh, less harmful. Yeah, as a therapist, I find that very interesting. You know, you're, you're taking what they get from that relationship, um, but you're making it less harmful. So I, I, I do like that. What have been some of the challenges you've met in your career that, well, what have been the biggest challenges you've met in your career and how have you overcome them? The biggest challenges, and I don't think it's going to be a surprise, is uh, the fact how difficult it is for a human being to change a habit. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> exactly. So, because we are creatures of habits, yes, and as long as we do something, you know, there are different theories, whether 30 times or 60 times, our brain just goes into the modus operandi of relaxation, and whatever the consequences of that habit is, are, uh, we just, the brain 
enjoys the fact that it can switch itself off on that activity and we just follow the path which we have uh, created for ourselves. And that's actually the main challenge for smokers to either quit or to switch to a less harmful product because the path has been, you know, walked so many times, not only during a day, but imagine during the months and years. Neural pathways, yes, like grooves in the mind, as I like to call them. Yes, neural pathways. Exactly. So, uh, and so it's, it's really, really very difficult. But uh, the good thing is that uh, once we get a person just on a trial for five or seven days, and they really, really walk this different path, after seven days, they really don't want to go back. So uh, uh, on one side, I have learned how difficult it is to get the commitment of a human being to try to change the habit. On the other hand, I also got a learning that if you really stand up to it for seven days, you are really on a good path and beyond the toughest times, and you are really on a good track to succeed. And that can be applied to many other things. I don't think only smoking. And what's the mantra in your mind when you're changing a habit or you're doing something better for yourself? What what goes on in your mind? What are you saying to yourself? I always have to uh, imagine and remember how do I want to feel afterwards. It's uh, I give you an example. I'm a, I love swimming and uh, I go swimming in the morning and I have to be very honest. The to jump into the cold water, that's not the best feeling of my morning. What is the best feeling of my morning is uh, after I have swam one kilometer or one and a half, whatever, uh, when I come out of that water. That's the reward which I am looking for. So I'm trying to uh, really focus on the ultimate experience, ultimate feeling which I want to get from anything. And yes, sometimes the jump into the cold water is super shocking. (laughs) Sometimes anything else which uh, I have to go through on the route to that experience, ultimate experience is very painful or it's long or it's uh, boring or I don't know, many different uh, types of feelings. But I always focus on the ultimate experience I want to get out of that. And that helps me to get through tough waters. And boy, I'm sure we all face lots of those. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd effectively like to ask yourself? There would be one point which I would like to uh, share with uh, listeners. And I have lived through that. So uh, I know the content of all this and I'm saying it with uh, all the authenticity which I can. And the message is that Anything is possible in this world. And as soon or as long as you can dream it, you can live it. If I look at my life, where I grew up, how I grew up, the circumstances I grew in, again, I was very happy. It was a very happy childhood, but uh, it was a very different childhood of my kids. And uh, if I could get from that starting point to where I am today, that's a 
pure document of the fact that anything and everything is possible. So I wish your listeners to have big eyes, to dream big, and as long as they can dream it, I'm sure they can live it sooner or later. I love it. And just one point of curiosity, what what does Slovakian Woman of the Year, what do you do? What is your role? My role is uh, exactly what I am doing now. At least that's my explanation of my role is to really encourage all the young people in Slovakia, whether they are women or men, you know, just human beings in Slovakia or in Czech Republic or wherever I, I am, wherever I live, is to give these people boost and really encourage them to dream, to be curious, to go for whatever they can imagine. Because, uh, you know, again, if I could get from that point to where I am today, I am a big optimist that uh, if you decide to do something which you are even afraid to verbalize, sooner or later, you will make it happen. So that's how I take it. Well, you've gone beyond something you couldn't verbalize. You've gone to something you couldn't even imagine. So I I absolutely love that. So who knows what's out there for everybody, hey? Even things we can't imagine. And I like to do that sometimes. I I was thinking back in 10-year chunks only yesterday while I was out for a walk and I constantly say to myself, wow, 10 years ago, I couldn't have imagined this life. And probably 10 years before that, I couldn't have imagined that life. And uh, so it is lovely to to look at that. But it's lovely for you to give that inspiration to other people that they obviously, the sky's the limit. So, Andrea, it's been my absolute pleasure. I'm so honoured to have you here today. And I love being a fellow author of yours in one of our books. Um, Are there more books in the pipeline for you? Do you want to do more writing? I'm thinking about it. I am not in a project uh, yet, not uh, not at the moment. But uh, I think that's one of the ways how to really uh, pass my message to young people, older people, to humanity in general. Well, maybe I need to go write your autobiography. Yours is already a fantastic story. I can, I can see it up there on the shelf. So I think maybe after this call, we need to have a bit of a chat. So this is Monkey Business. I'm Rosalind Palmer. You've been listening to a wonderful episode with my guest, Andrea Gonkovichova, all the way from Prague. And again, thank you, Andrea. And keep listening. More episodes are soon. 